welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hey, everybody. Um, hey, party people. How's it going back there? I, that's, that's, that's the hot spot over there. That is the hot spot. Uh, my name's Mike. If we have not met, I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back. Um, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19. As you do that, I will just inform you, if you're new, uh, we're in a series called Rhythms. This is the last week of this series, so kind of the culmination of a lot of really, uh, I, would, I, would, I would submit some big ideas for us as a community. Uh, rhythm, according to Webster Dictionary or the Googles, is a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. So this is a series about the regular and repeated patterns of this community, um, what, and, and really about the, the intentional effort that we want to make to take collective resources and put them towards a couple of things that we deem to be important, uh, not, not only because we deem them to be important, but because we find them in Scripture as important for the church. So week one, just a quick review, we talked about uh, the regular repeatable patterns of the church. We looked at Acts 2 being an, one example of the church seen in the scriptures, and we found them loving each other, loving the world, and gathering uh, in some way, shape, and form. Um, we connected words to these ideas of loving one another, loving the world, and gathering, and those being in, out, and up. So just easy ways to remember these kind of movements of loving each other, in, loving the world, out, and then gathering. Uh, specifically connected to that, the, the delivery mechanisms that we've chosen or the ways by which we're doing this at Awaken, we call life groups, missional communities, and Sunday mornings. And so uh, week two, we talked a little bit about in, right, this, this idea of life groups and really what they're all about, what they mean. This is a space where we invite people inside of in. Uh, it's, it's the one space that we as Christians are allowed an, another opinion other than love. Um, It's the space where not everything goes per se, but we've said we want to follow Jesus, and so there are ways by which our lives should be marked, or or ways that our lives should be marked, and we want to invite people into that space to say this is the direction we want to go, um, and we invite people to help us do that. Uh, We call them life groups, so six to ten adults who meet monthly for prayer, study, and stories, the sharing of life together. Very, very simple. Um, Last week, we talked about out and this idea of missional communities. So if the in, inviting people inside of in, in life groups, this place where we're afforded another opinion, right, where we have say-so for one another and with one another, in our relationship to the world, Jesus says, "Love love God with your soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So this is uh, the church's effort to be the ambassadors that, that Paul calls us in Ephesians, that we're ambassadors of this ministry of love. We're ambassadors of this ministry of mercy and forgiveness. So we're afforded one opinion to the world, and that's one of love. Unconditional, no strings attached love. This has to do with what's in your hands, and how do you invest it towards that cause or to that end. We call them missional communities, 20 to 50 people who would gather monthly or two to five life groups asking those kinds of questions. How do we live on mission or how are we living on mission? How are we taking what's in our hands and investing them in the cause of Jesus in the world? So um, this week we want to spend a little bit of time exploring this idea of up, which is to say we want to take some time and explore the Sunday morning experience. Um, I'm guessing that for many of us, the Sunday morning experience or church equals Sunday morning, or spiritual, you know, outside of Jesus' church stuff, spiritual or religious equals a Sunday morning kind of an experience. We want to ask some questions about why we gather. Why do we do this? Why is this important? Or is it important? 
Uh, I want to ask some questions about what is the goal or what are the hopes that we have when we gather in this space together? I want to ask some questions about what informs the decisions that we make as artists and as pastors and curators to sort of create this experience every single week. What informs those decisions that are made to to make this happen? Uh, What are the assumptions that we begin with? Are there things that we believe to be true about the pastor or the people or the worship or music or men and women or this space? Are there assumptions that we start with that inform the experience that we have on Sunday morning? And I would submit to you that every time the church gathers, whether it's here or somewhere else, there are answers to those questions. Is this important? Why is it important? What, do we, what assumptions do we begin with? And if the people who are helping lead those experiences in other places can't articulate why, I would guarantee you that the people who experience it can tell you this is what's important. This is what we assume about these kinds of things. So everybody answers those questions, maybe intentionally, maybe not. We want to be intentional about why do we do this? Why is it important? What, it, what informs it? So this morning's going to be less about me preaching or teaching, and it's going to be more of like pulling back the curtain on the, the decisions and the seeds that we began with called Awaken that have grown into this that we do weekly and that we have uh, as a community. Um, if you've been listening the past three weeks, and if you've been here long enough, you probably know that For many, the Sunday morning experience, it's a one-to-one correlation. So when you say, what is church? It's equals Sunday morning. And we want to reappropriate that. We want to give, we want to take some meaning that's often given to the Sunday morning experience and actually send it elsewhere. Uh, We assume that this is not the only thing that you do as a person who follows Jesus. In fact, I would say, if this is the only thing that you do as a person who follows Jesus, we've got a problem. My grandpa used to say, hello, Joe, got a problem. Is that from Apollo 13 or something like that? Some movie? Hello, Joe, got a problem. At any rate, um, I think when, they, when, when they're up in space and everything's going wrong, he's like, uh, Command, we've got a problem. Houston, we've got a problem. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, I know, I, I've heard this before. I have heard this before. Hello, Joe, got a problem. That's what my grandpa would say. That's what Chaz would say. Maybe he stole it. Oh, boy. So what am I talking about? Oh, if Sunday morning is all that you do, we've got a problem. We have a problem. And and we want to appropriate some meaning to send it in a different direction. Uh, Because what happens here on Sunday is absolutely important, and I hope that we can unpack a little bit of that. But what happens throughout the week as the church sort of lives this thing out in the world Man, that's where the good stuff is. That's, that's, the, that's the meat and potatoes. This is like the exclamation point on the end of a beautiful sentence. That is your life. That is our communal life. That is our collective life. So, turn to Luke chapter 19. I want to try to anchor um, Sunday morning in one um, idea from Luke 19. And here the dots are connected as to why we sang Zacchaeus. Luke 19 verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was, so, he was short that he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And then there was a key change. Just kidding. Um, Pray with me if you would. God, as we uh, open up this text, as we um, 
create space in our life together for this story and this text to speak to us. We pray that by your spirit, you would infuse it with your power, with your kingdom authority, God, that that your spirit would be uh, the loudest voice in the room. God, I pray that you'd help us to tune our hearts, to hear you, to see you, uh, and that what you have for us, God, would, would shape us, it would inform us, it would mold us, it would chip away the things that are not of you, and that only that which is beautiful, only that which is life-giving, only that which is light would remain, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Now, there's a ton to be said about Zacchaeus uh, and this text that makes it a very, very, very interesting story. Zacchaeus is a Jew. He's in Israel in a place called Jericho. Now, the way that this works is there's a whole host of people in history that have come into Israel and who have taken captive the Israelite nation. Uh, The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, so on and so forth. Go back to Daniel, all of those stories. And now, now, Rome is in power. So Rome is in power, and Rome has what they call governors or basically overlords that they appoint in each of the big cities in their empire. These overlords, these governors, basically make sure that everything goes as, you know, sort of status quo, that the taxes that Rome requires go back to Rome, and that there's no sort of uprisings, okay? Now, each of those governors or people would appoint tax collectors to actually, like, boots on the ground, get the money from the people, and get it back to Rome. These tax collectors would often then take a percentage over and above on top of what Rome required and what the governors take out of the deal. And so they would basically extort the people and get more money out of them than Rome was actually asking for. What made matters worse was they were often Jews. So if you've heard uh, the, the rabbis would, would pray like, you know, Yahweh, I thank you that I'm not a, a, a woman, a Samaritan, a Gentile put in tax collector. The tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were despised. They were hated among the people. So there's all of this going on in the background of this text, in this story. I want to sort of highlight one little detail that actually I would submit is the culmination. It is the point. It is the sort of what everything is going to. And it's this, Jesus's invitation to a table with Zacchaeus. When Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today, This is not a uh, a, a simple way of saying, hey, I'm going to come over and hang out today. This is ancient Near Eastern code for, I am coming to your house and we will eat together. Do you remember Jesus? He's indicted because he eats with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. To share a table with somebody like that was absolutely uh, off limits. It It was looked down upon. It was frowned upon. And here's why. The table becomes the place or is the place where the most meaningful human interaction takes place in this culture. So the, like the stuff of relationship and of life, it happens at the table. This has been going on for thousands and thousands of years, and if you've traveled out of the U.S., this is still the case in many cultures around the world, where it's the table where human interaction and the most meaningful, intimate, social, human friendship and interaction happens. It's here at this table. And so Jesus says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm wondering, what if we thought of Awaken and Sunday morning at Awaken as pastors and artists and curators of an experience, we try to set the table for this community to have an encounter with the living God. This is what we pray for. This is what we hope for. This is what we work for week in and week out. When we gather, there's a couple of us that say, okay, Sundays, what are we going to do? The hope The goal, what we pray for, what we hope for, what we work for is to set the table for there to be a meaningful encounter with the living God. Now, friends, newsflash, I can't force you to do anything. 
I know I'm pretty convincing, but I can't force you to do anything. I often envision, when I think about Sunday mornings and my job, my role as a pastor in this community, I often envision walking with you hand in hand up to a door or a table where we say as lovingly and as graciously and as pastorally as we possibly can, this is for you. Open it. Sit and eat. And this is where we're changed. It's at this table, these interactions where we encounter God that we become changed, where God begins to shape us and form us and mold us. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Isaiah says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, drink. You have no money, come and buy and eat. Delight in the richest of fare. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, if you want to see me, If you want to have an encounter with me, I am coming to your house today and we will share a meal. We will sit down and we will dine together. In terms of Sundays at Awaken, what does it look like to begin with the assumption that God wants to have an encounter with you? I know for many of us, there is a, maybe a, maybe an explicit, maybe an implicit belief or sort of current where we believe that this is actually not the case. In fact, God is not near, but God has abandoned us, or we are alone. And the scriptures would say otherwise. The scriptures would say that you are not alone, that God has not abandoned you. In fact, God has invited you to a table to sit and to be face-to-face, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe with the resurrected Jesus. What does it look like to begin with that kind of assumption? What does it look like to, to see the role of the pastor as someone who sets the table? What does it look like to see the role of pastors and leaders in Christian community as the ones who go through painstaking detail to set the table just so, so that you, if you should choose, come and sit and encounter this Jesus? And of course, two buck chuck would be served. (laughs) But what would it look like if we saw the pastor as that and not something else? There's a lot, of, a lot of different ways we could take this, a lot of implications. I want to highlight a couple. One is there are many, many elements that we begin with that, that at the table, on the table, that God uses to reveal God's self to us. If you go back and you look at history and you look at the timetable of a Sunday morning experience, there are a couple of things that come very, very high on the chart as far as what we invest our time and energy in. And the implicit assumption then that is made is that these are the things in which God reveals God's self to us. They are... Music and, come on, friends, you know, music and preaching, right? If you go to a church, it's like heavy on music and preaching. And the assumption then is, these are the places that God speaks. Or, these are the habits that we've gotten ourselves into that we just don't even question anymore. We want to say that actually there, are, there is a plethora of possibilities in which God might speak or reveal. In the scriptures, we find this to be true. God speaks through rocks. God speaks through wind, bread, wine. God speaks through bushes. He speaks through asses. He speaks through people, which aren't the same. (laughs) Donkeys. Balaam's donkey. Balaam's ass. It's in there. God speaks through people, priests, women, men, children, everything. It's It's all on the table for God. And so when we gather on Sunday mornings, what this means is it's all on the table. There, we don't privilege one thing over the other in our heads to say, this is the place, Ooh, this is the thing that God will use to speak. But rather, we give time and space for 
a greeting to happen because we believe that often the way in which we know and understand God is actually through the faces and the relationships through other people. That God reveals us, that we, we become mirrors for. Bonhoeffer says that when we, we actually have the position, the power, the authority, the privilege, and the honor to, to speak on behalf of Jesus so that people hear the words, you are forgiven. We stand in that place. God uses people to speak and to reveal. So we take time every Sunday morning to do that. Many of you have come to me and said, why do we do that greeting thing? I hate it. That's like I go to the, I get nervous. I start sweating. I go get coffee. I go to the bathroom. When, when I know it's coming, I'm out just like, like a shot. Now, while I can't force you to do anything, again, I know I'm quite convincing at times, but uh, we keep doing that because we believe, we start with an assumption that it's all on the table. God can use all kinds of things to speak and to reveal. The artist in residence is part of that. It's not just music that God uses in far, as far as art forms go. Um, silence, all kinds of ways, right? The point being that we want to increasingly create space on Sundays where there are all kinds of ways that people can access and get in tune with and in touch with this God that we're after, including certainly the scriptures, but not only. Uh, we would say that we want to begin conversations and not end them or not give answers um, I shared this story before, but when I was a kid, the church that I grew up in, uh, very traditional, you know, had the choir in the background and everything, and then it had the two high back chairs where the pastor and, uh, and the Wizard of Oz would sit. Uh, code word for the music pastor. And they would sit up there, and it was kind of like, whoa! You know, and there was this assumption that the, the, the pastor was the theological authority, the unapproachable authority as far as theology and the scriptures. And actually, I'd like to challenge that. Because uh, newsflash, I do not have all the answers for you. I know that you might think I do based on how you treat me and the jokes that you don't tell in public about me. You might think I have, I don't. I don't have all the answers. Ben does not have all the answers and Toph certainly does not have all the answers. <laughs> Last hour I, ma I made the joke about Ben so I promised to make it about Toph today. It's just karma, you guys, you do that. I, I will, no, I'm kidding. Um, but we want to begin conversations. What if we saw the pastor not as the one who gives all the answers or, you know, like this is thus saith the Lord, but as the one who is one of the people, among the people, who has a particular gift, just like you have particular gifts that we bring to the community and we offer, but one of us who begins conversation, who asks provocative questions about life and faith and following this Jesus, and, and that assumes that this is not the only thing that we do together. Because if it is, you will leave with more questions than you have answers, which is not very good. Some of you get frustrated by that. But we assume that there is a conversation that's happening beyond this gathering on Sunday mornings. This is not to say that there are no answers. This is not to say that there is no truth. There are answers, and there is truth. There are things that are right and that are wrong. And as people who follow Jesus, we're after them. But one person is not the conduit for all of that. Is not, and, and if you look at it theologically, Old Testament, New Testament, everything about the New Testament says like this is just obliterated. Where the, the priest is at the top and everybody comes, it's gone. So what if we saw the pastor, what if we saw the teacher as one who begins conversations and not ends them? What if Sunday morning became the gathering of collective energy of God's people and not the only thing that we did? What if Sunday morning became not just all that was a part of our spirituality or church equaled Sunday morning, but Sunday morning actually became the end of a life that's lived in faithfulness to Jesus? 
What if Sunday morning became the place in which we tell the stories of how God is at work in the lives of the people of the church? And so this becomes a celebration of the stories of God at work in our community. Come on now. You get a lot less of me. Huh? That's a good news. That's good news. What if this became the place where the things that the Spirit was doing in your lives actually were told in, in this community, in this setting, so that we recognize, oh, you know what? I'm not alone in that. I can't tell you how many times I've he- I hear that from people. I thought I was the only one. Nine times out of ten, you're not. Actually, 99 times out of 100, you're not. Actually, 999 times out of 1,000, you're not. <laughs> you get the point, right? And we tell and retell the stories of this community, and we, re- we tell and retell the story of this resurrected Jesus. And Sunday morning becomes the gathering of collective energy of what God is up to in his church. That, to me, is really, really compelling. Last, I would say this. This is less theological, less rooted in like a particular text that says, when you worship, dot, 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 but more connected to my experience. There is something unquantifiable about the gathering of God's people. There is something that happens that has the potential to happen when you gather that does not, it cannot happen when you don't gather. There is something on the table when the church gathers and I don't know if you've ever been at, uh, at, a, at a worship gathering or a gathering of God's people where there is a directed uh, uh, effort and intentionality to focus and fix our gaze on this resurrected Jesus. There is something that happens. We are lifted up. There's, there's some, there, it's like the Spirit you know, comes underneath us and says, listen, you are not alone. There is hope that tomorrow can be different than today. The addiction that you have been a part of, it, it actually can be. There's something that happens when we gather that I can't put my finger on. I can't quantify it. I couldn't give you a formula for it. But I have been in this space before where you all have sung and I have been in a corner just like weeping, listening to you and, and, and like being filled with hope that we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. There's something about when the church gathers. I remember being in college in, in uh, the upper bleachers of the, the gym at my, my university. And this gathering of God's people, this gathering of students who were passionately seeking after Jesus. And I remember just being up in the bleachers, weeping, trying to sing these songs with just snot flow, like pouring down my face which would have been really awesome to see on video, right? Like, had you been the guy next to me? Good Lord, wipe your face off. It's just, there's something about when the church gathers that is, it's ineffable. You can't actually describe it. You can't give words to it. That language only gets us close. Certainly you could say a lot about these things in, out, and up. But for now, I want to just say this is, this is it. This is sort of the direction we're headed and the, the way that we're going. We've got a little diagram that we've been using. Um, is this actually a Venn diagram? Is this a version of a Venn diagram? Yeah, okay, great. I would put together a little Venn diagram for you guys. <laughs> now, if you'll notice on the top there, uh, uh, in, out, and up. These circles, these environments, these spaces are where we want to collectively, as a community, put energy and effort and resources behind and in and towards. Because we believe that this little spot in the center is, is, the, is the perfect mixture of, this is a great cocktail for spiritual formation and development, where we love one another well, 
where we invite people inside of in and we give them access to our lives, where we love the world unapologetically and without strings attached, where we just say, we love you in the name of Jesus and we trust that the spirit is at work. And when we gather and we tell and retell the stories of how God is at work in our community, hot diggity dog. So that's where we're headed. Uh, We wanted to take a bit of time this morning as we kind of close this series this is a big series. Again, this is, this is a, a, not a major redirect, but a major sort of crystallization of some of the directions we've been headed. So I'm going to ask Toph to come up, um, and we're going to grab a couple chairs here, and we want to just like, do a little Q&A. So if there are questions that you have that have not been clear, I, be, I know that I am not always clear. So if there are questions you have about life groups or missional communities or things that um, you're wondering, we want to give you the opportunity to ask them. So um, please, if you would, check your Scandinavian roots at the door and participate if you have something to say. All right? So let her rip. Tick, tick. Okay. You're on. (laughs) So are you. (laughs) (laughs) Just wanted to... uh, while you're kind of thinking of questions, I'll give you kind of like a 30-second head start. There are FAQ sheets on each of the tables, and um, there's a really good chance that your question is kind of talked about there. Would love to talk about it, you know, in this you know, kind of forum, but uh, something to take home if, if you have unanswered questions, too. Yeah. So. Yes, Jody. <clears throat> Yeah, so there's maybe a couple parts in that question. One is, if we've been a part of a group, do we have to sign up again? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, basically, we just wanted, this is kind of the, the restart, uh, the, really the last time that we're going to ask everyone as a whole to re-sign up. Um, because at, at previously, we had seasons, and we had people sign up each time. Now we're just going to ha- basically start and, and go year-round. Um, so yes, if you've been a part of a life group, please sign up again. Uh, t- two, about the geography. We think that one of the major variables that, that uh, or a variable that creates an obstacle is uh, just... Geography. Geography. And so... Distance. Thank you for yeah. the color commentary. I'm really good at that. So we think that if people are actually in life groups uh, based on geography there's a really good chance that they're going to be able to make it on a regular basis. Now, part of that, too, is we've, we've tried to make it as accessible as possible um, and achievable as possible. So we say geography and once a month. Um, so who can't... It's rare that, that someone can't find, you know, two to three hours to be with a group uh, once a month. Um, now, some groups may meet more, but we think that if we create that variable of remove the variable of of distance that that people are going to actually do life with people in their neighborhood. So how do you address people that have positive relationships that can I can I give a crack at it from a different angle? Um, we would like to invite people to gather based on geography. Um, we're not gonna force anybody to do something they don't want to do. Um, but as leaders, 
part of our responsibility to you is to try to, to make decisions that are the best for the whole. That will always leave someone out. Um, and we want to walk with and pastor and shepherd those folks for whom that, that choice is, a, is more difficult. Uh, but we want to invite people to do that for the sake of the whole and for the sake of the direction of this community. Um, we've, one of the questions that's come up is about community dinner. And some people kind of floated between community dinners. And so we're essentially saying your missional community dinner or your, your missional community meeting becomes community dinner. Um, and we're working on trying to figure out, are there just random gatherings of people that we can have that have no connection to life groups or missional communities, so you can go to whatever one you want and see whoever you want. Um, but yeah, there's going to be, there's a tension there that we have to manage. Um, so we'd like to invite people to do that for the sake of the whole, uh, recognizing that, that that's, a, that's an ask that we're making. Yeah, and, and life groups are meeting once a month. So that's, it's perhaps, you know, on paper, you're not in the same life group with someone who you've been, you know, doing life with for the last year. But here's another thing that we're really trying to uh, infuse within the DNA of life groups and missional communities, which is adaptability. We think that uh, it's really important that, that life groups and missional communities don't end with us. And so we want to invite people into that. And it's, it's, it's couched in the idea of hospitality. And so if we have um, a group that grows to 10, uh, we would ask that group, like with, with our help, to discern um, how can we best birth a new group in our community using the people in this group. Um, and so who, who among that, can, that group can lead another group? Um, and so, so the idea is that it, it would be able to reproduce itself, um, at, at which point there, there might be a, a short, short grieving process of like, man, I really loved that season of life with those people. Um, there's no reason that, that we have to stop seeing those people. Um, there's, there's, I, would, I would venture to say there are about two dozen of you who have been in a group that has been so meaningful. That's a win. I know some of you go on vacation together. Holy cow, can I be in your group? That sounds awesome. But, and and that's, that's essentially what we're, we hope would be able to happen. But yeah. we, we, we need it to be permeable. Well, and to the degree that we can, we want to preserve those relationships. So part of our process is trying to preserve the relationships that, that are there. And many of you have been put in life groups or started life groups that were geographically based. So it's not a total shakedown. But, um, yeah, that's a good question, though. Are there other questions that people have? Can I maybe say one more thing on that? Is um, for the sake of the whole, we're offering groups based on geography. But you know, our our second uh, thought is we uh, think that systems aren't meant to serve, or people aren't meant to serve systems, but systems to people. And so um, we'll work to accommodate uh, whatever you would like. But we, we would hold up that value of being yeah. close to people. Other questions? Spirit trumps structure, by the way. How I say that. Other questions? Yeah. Yeah, Eric. In your uh, message today, you mentioned bringing conversations of what God is doing in yeah. people's lives and their communities into the Sunday service. Yep. Yes, all of that. Um, part, of, part of our connecting or our, our working with life group leaders and training of them this summer um, has been 
One, you know, we're asking you to pastor 10 people. We're asking you to walk with 10 people. We're asking you to help identify new leaders in your group. Another piece of that has been we're asking you to be on the lookout for stories of what God's up to and to bring those back to. So Ben and Toph and I do a lot of the planning for what happens on Sunday mornings. And so we're going to be looking to life group leaders and to you as people. If, if you find, if you have a, an experience that's like an aha moment where the spirit of God was present to you in a way that it hadn't been before, where you learned something new, we want to know that because those are the kinds of stories that give, that, that help people go, oh, I could do that. Um, so bring them to us. Uh, tell your life group leader. And so the, the kind of uh, way by which that would get to Sunday morning would be through your life group leader or from you to Ben Toff or I as we kind of plan and, and architect Sunday mornings. So it could be a video, it could be Sunday morning live, it could be any, any number of ways. So another, another thing is that we do have kind of like a, a little thing where you can actually give feedback about your life group in which you can actually tell your story. So we have forums for life group leaders to fill out generally every three months just like a quick like feedback to say how are things going you know how would you measure how would you measure the level of authenticity in your group you know that kind of thing so that we, we do have plenty of uh, concrete ideas yeah. on that so that's just one other questions Anthony yes the latter the latter yeah and that's actually a, a part of the both FAQ sheets for for life groups and missional communities is that you know every group it has a unique blend of people and so we need to be able to uh to lean into that and so um it's going to look different for each group part of that is kind of we're, we're sort of in no man's land with student ministry at awaken um and so one of the intentional moves we want to make is to say any ministry that we do with students we want it to be based in small relationships one-on-one one-on-two so Kids and, and teenagers, uh, anybody over 10, 11, 12, who's not, well, they're all invited, but uh, we kind of see them as adults or not a part of kids' community. Um, so we would welcome them to be a part of the life group conversations for sure. So other questions? Maybe a couple more if there are. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> There's the door. No. Uh, it's always it's always rooted in invitation, you know, and I think it's really important to say we actually so we have, over the course of the summer we we did six trainings with life group leaders and one of our conversations was right on that. Um, it's important to say that this is a community um, that there isn't there is no spiritual hierarchy. Um, our job is to hold one another, and for those of you who have uh, the time to be a part of a life group or be a part of a missional community, that's awesome. And it's, it's really just some, a way that we want to um, create kind of an inroad yeah. to community. But and I would say strategically, like thinking about Awaken as a whole, we've gotten to the point where the needs of Awaken are beyond what I, Toph, Ben can hold. Uh, and so one of the ways that we make this community scalable in the sense that like needs are met and people are pastored and walked with is to sort of start dividing it up into smaller parts. And so one of the ways that, one of the asks of the life group leader is, would you walk with 10 people? Because I, we, can't do that for the whole community. And so that's an intentional resource, you know, investment we're making to say we want to care for the people and, and the needs that come into this community and walk with people, but we have to figure out a way to do that that's actually repeatable and scalable uh, in the event that we get more people. <laughs> 
And, so, and we, we understand that, you know, life groups aren't for everybody, you know, and not every season of life, life group or a missional community is going to be, you know, within your cadence. But we offer it, again, to the whole community. The other thing, too, is um, we love you, and we don't want you to feel ostracized. We don't want you to feel like you're on the outside of in. And so if you ever do feel that way, like, I can say for Micah, Ben, and myself, like, open invite. Let's grab coffee. Let's, you know, let's spend some time in someone's living room yeah. hanging out, you know, so. And all, we recognize that this, this idea of a life group, the idea of it doesn't have to happen at Awaken. Like, it's important that you have, if you want to follow Jesus, I would submit to you theologically, biblically, and from my experience, it's really important that you have people who are on the inside of it and helping you walk that out. Whether those are awakened people or not is not the point. But that's a really, really important part of, of formation and of discipleship and following this Jesus. So if it's outside of Awaken and you don't have time to do it at Awaken, blessings, blessings, blessings. I, as a pastor, I would hold it up to you to say, this is really, really important. I would encourage you to do this. Um, but how you navigate that is kind of balls in your court, I guess. Um, maybe one more if we, uh, yeah. I would say your living room. <laughs> Honestly, like your neighborhood. Um, those three contexts, I mean, it's, it's always going to be rooted in relationship, wherever you are. Um, the best thing you can do is just be available to them. Um, however, I would say that we want missional com- we want we want people who live in the community of the missional community to be invited to that. You know, like we want to invite Garlo teachers and students to our big, huge, you know, missional community dinner, dinner uh, and have it be a community thing. Yeah. Um, but but we don't want a revolving door, so. It's yeah. a blend. I mean, of the three, I would say the ones that make the most sense to me are Sunday morning and your missional community. I mean, the life group is really intended to be a more intimate setting, uh, and so it might feel a little bit awkward to be invited into that. Um, depending on the life group, I could imagine it working, but I would say the most, the easiest way or the, the ones that make the most sense to me would be Sunday morning or your missional community dinner. Yeah. And I, I think it's also important to say, you know, we have we have folks that live in an area that, you know, there may not be a lot of awakened folks around, um, but some of them are like, I really want to lead a life group. It's like, well, start one, you know, in your neighborhood and invite a couple neighbors that you have built relationship with and trust with, and whether or not they would say that they're followers of Jesus, start start just, you know, breaking bread together, you know. Um, it's good. Um, If there are other questions that you guys have, please feel free to come up and chat with us. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.